Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. During today's sermon, which is part of our series through the Gospel of John, Hans Georg Hoprich will speak about the story in chapter 4 of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. He will focus on important details of the story concerning its setting, the conversation itself, and what reactions it caused in the life of the woman, the other people in her town, as well as Jesus and his disciples. And we will learn more about the greatest need in this sermon titled, Water for a Thirsty Woman. A world somewhere in, uh, in Europe or uh, Africa or Asia or wherever, well, we all welcome you warmly here in the name of our Lord Jesus. He's the one who satisfies us deeply in our emotions, in our life, and he's the one that we are going to talk about this morning. It's a, a big privilege to talk about the Lord, to talk about him who lives and lives forever. And what an invitation for all of us to come close to, to him who satisfies us deeply, who gives us peace beyond understanding, who loves us dearly. So this morning, um, I, I think I always forgot to do so, but this time I really want to thank you, uh, Philip, because he is working hard in the background, getting uh, a, a good PowerPoint uh, ready, I have two left hands, so to speak, you know, in doing that. So I'm uh, ever grateful for your great service. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Dave, uh, Philip. Thank you. You know, it's it's uh, these are some of the things we uh, kind of uh, forget, and and and. But if they're not done, uh, there's something missing. And, and, and so I'm, I'm really grateful for this. It's not my generation, so to speak, you know, to get ready for a good, powerful PowerPoint presentation. So I'm ever grateful for, for guys like him who uh, can do it and, and they do it with a passion. Uh, they don't, they know what they are doing, so to speak. So thank you again, uh, Philip. And, and as I got ready, for uh, this morning, um, I was uh, constantly reminded to Mallory, to you, Mallory, uh, you will be surprised, but, uh, you know, when I sat down yesterday, um, uh, I was constantly reminded to you because of the person we are going to talk today. Um, uh, Mallory is uh, quite involved in LGBT uh, ministry, uh, so we are grateful for what you are doing. Um, it's um, yeah, it's it's not that easy to bring the gospel across to um, uh, this kind of um, society. We do not point finger to, because they are living amongst us, and many of them are asking lots of questions. And who is ready to to communicate? To sit down. Um, and, 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 you know, let all the questions ponder, not giving a straight answer. You know, we are there often, too often, we give quick answers, quickies, you know, like, you know, like a, 
a gun, you know, uh, automatic gun. And, and we don't let things just ponder, you know, on our hearts and let them ask these questions that are so deep uh, in in their heart, you know. And we can learn a great lesson from our Lord in this uh, uh, story uh, of uh, the woman at the well. And uh, this is why I put uh, the headline there, Water for a Thirsty Woman. Now, it's love and success, wealth and fame. These were but a few countless springs at which men had stooped to drink, only to rise from them to find that they offered no lasting inward satisfaction, no personal fulfillment. But his water, the water that we are talking about today, this morning, was so different. Different. It could accomplish a miracle. The one who drank it was secure from thirst, not merely for time, but also for eternity as well. So vital, so transforming was such a drink that it, in the innermost being of the man who drank, drank it, there was created an inexhaustible fountain of life. The waters of that hidden inner spring could not dry up. They could not be staunched. They virtually leaped up to produce the surpassing experience of eternal life. Jesus offered living water to a sun-parched woman at a Samaritan well, water that all humanity, wherever they come from, wherever you are that you are watching this service, he can give you the water, the living water. Now, look at the setting as we look into the Bible, because that's our textbook anyway. We don't have any other textbook. And as we look at, um, first of all, at the setting, we look into John chapter 4. We cannot possibly read the whole chapter, so to speak, these 42 or 43 verses that we will talk about, but certainly... Um, point by point, we will look into Scripture. And the setting, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, we find the Pharisees getting wind of Jesus' rising popularity. In verse 3, when Jesus realized this, he takes his people, his disciples, and leaves Judea for Galilee. Uh, and in verse for it tells us en route he passes through Samaria. 
exhausted by a long trip, he comes to rest at uh, a well outside of the city of Sishar. Um, that was called Jacob's well to be exact. And we read about it here in verse five, uh, 5 and 6. It is the sixth hour of the day, just about noon, and the impartial uh, Palestinian sun beats down on this tired traveler. His hungry disciples, meanwhile, what should they do? have gone ahead into the city for food. They were concerned about food. Good, uh, a good, well, excuse me, they may not have had it in his time, but I guess he, they were looking for a good hamburger. Um, so that was the kind of setting. And uh, we go into the conversation. In those days, women normally drew water at dawn or dusk. Uh, the, cooler uh, the cooler hours of the day, it was a time to visit, to exchange news, um, to idle away a little time. And of course, what else can you do? There, where so many people get together, what do you do? Well, uh, in Africa, you have a good gossip, haven't you? Um, and everywhere else, I think, um, in the public meeting places, you talk together. Not a negative. I'm not talking about a negative gossip. Gossip is something nice, you know, to hang out, to be together with the people, and, and just chat along at uh, uh, friendship, uh, moving, uh, and so on. So it's nice. Uh, oftentimes we change gossip to something negative oftentimes, but, but it's not that kind of gossip I'm thinking of. It's just hanging out, you know, being together with people that are close uh, to you, to your heart, that you may not have seen for a long time, you know, um, as we uh, this morning uh, get together after many, many, many months, and we talk together, and probably that has happened there it was as well. Um, it was a time to exchange news and, and to sit down, and that this woman has come to the well uh, at noon. The hottest hour of the day. And I think that hints really a reputation of that woman. Look at uh, verse uh, 18. Uh, we read in verse um, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse um, 18. It says uh, here, um, but I go and get your husband, Jesus told her in verse uh, 16, 17. But I'm not married, the woman rep replied. All too true, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. This kind of woman that we would point fingers to, Jesus is meeting at this well at a very awkward time of the day. 
promiscuous with the men and consequently cold-shouldered by the women, she uh, braves the hot sun to avoid the searing stares of the uh, more reputable. Um, and he and and he that's where where Jesus meets that woman and you know and we see how um, a discussion gets on the discussion in verses uh, seven to twenty six the the woman comes hearing uh, comes bearing a dry empty pot what a symbol. Of her parched, barren heart, an empty pot. Now Jesus opens the conversation with a direct and uh, kind of a disarming <laughs> request. Uh, he asks that that woman give me a drink. What a commandment to a woman at this time. But she, you know, I think her eyes went down. She may have shivered to see a man there that talks to such kind of a person as she was. Give me a drink. But she responds defensively to his simple petition. How is it, verse now in nine, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings, no dealings whatsoever with a sinner like Samaritans. Intense racial hatred exists between Jews and Samaritans, much of it centering on religious differences. And, of course, everybody who is different of me does not fit to me. I don't want to associate with them because they're so different. You know, you like to have red um, colored dressing. Now, I don't know whether my, well, you fit together with Margaret. She likes red and we both like red. We have a red car. But what about those who have yellows, yellow dressing, you know, who like blue dressing? Like me, I like blue dressing. Now, do we kind of associate? Um, but here, even more so with religious Differences. For example, the Samaritans had as their scripture the five books of Moses, Genesis, right down to Deuteronomy, the Jews having the entire Old Testament at their scripture. They looked down on their religion of the Samaritans as impoverished and incomplete. So great! It's kind of beyond what we can imagine. So great was the animosity that in traveling from Judea to Galilee, Jews would 
go miles out of their way to avoid crossing the Samaritan border. Only those in hurry used to shortcut through Samaria. And not only in our, in, in our noonday pattern of the Weller Samaritan, there was an even more devastating something. She was a woman. A woman. Cultural sentiment for women was extremely low during the time of Christ. The Pharisees taught that man should not speak to a woman in public. This was the rep, uh, and the rabbi said towards uh, women in Jesus' time, he that talks much with a woman kind brings even evil upon himself. Can you imagine? And it goes further. And we can see the kind of devastation. One of the Jewish prayers included the phrase, Blessed are thou, O Lord, who has not made me a woman. Can you imagine? That's what their prayer was. But Jesus not only looks at her and speaks with her, he does so kindly and in such a way to infuse her appetite for spiritual things. Jesus answered and said to her in verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But his alluring conversation is met with skepticism and well, sarcasm in one way or another. She said to him in verse 11 and 12, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. You know, I think she had a, a good smile on her face, you know, saying that, you know, what a strange guy you are. I mean, you, you can't just uh, jump down into the well. The well is deep. And after all, do you... Just use your hands, so, you know, what's happening here? Um, and then, but the water that I shall give, that's what Jesus says to her, shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's what Jesus says here in, in verse 14. However, seeing only a human viewpoint, the woman misses Jesus' point completely. The woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. Now, maybe feeling that the conversation is beginning to get at a kind of a, a dead-end conversation, Jesus points out to her personal life. 
And uh, that was so personal that I think that this lady wanted to go hiding. I don't think you would do that in the Philippines or would do that in uh, Ghana or Nigeria to point fingers to a woman and tell her what is wrong in her life. I think you may have at the same time either get a knife in your belly or the guy may run away or the lady will hate you till the end of the, her life. However, you know, Jesus, you know, points out to something and it, the woman starts to think about. In effect, he places a full-length mirror in front of her, forcing her to take a good, hard look at herself. So he offers something she's never, ever heard of. She says, go call, or he said to, to that woman, go call your husband and come here. Like, a, like the, the sobering reflection that greets you when you first wake up in the morning, this woman's glimpse of herself makes her flush with embarrassment, complete embarrassment. But when he tries to cover up, when she tries to, to cover up the issues, Jesus kind of nudges her into facing the emptiness within her heart. In verse 17, 18, it says, we read, the, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said. Jesus acknowledges. He doesn't uh, pull it away, you know. It's all right, you know. Just go on with the job and get a little bit more water. No. He said, you have well said, well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. He acknowledges that she's not, as she may be used to, and maybe implied, told Jesus a, a lie. She did not do that. Jesus' sharp perception is like a needle that stings in her conscience. He pulls her out of her comfort zone. And indeed, the desolation and shame is more than she's able to bear. I think all of us would have gone hiding. She now tries very hard to shift as humanly as she is. You know, she is, after all, a human. And we will see that oftentimes we, we will see that in our conversation very much the same. She tries very hard to shift the conversation into a more comfortable harbor. Sir, she says in verse 19 and 20, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. You see more and deeper than anybody else could look. 
Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And you know, after she managed to get away, you know, get into a kind of a, a religious corner, you know, and, and, and to show, to kind of show off to Jesus, she knows a little bit more. And do you know that? You know, in our conversation, when it goes a little bit deeper under the, the surface, um, you know, in the, into, you know, out of the comfort zone and, and, you know, the sting is going deeper and deeper. We often hear people saying, what about the heathen in Africa? You know, move away from, uh, you know, the sting that hurts. How can a good God uh, allow suffering and evil? What about creation and evolution? Sprinkling or immersion? What do you think? Uh, what is good? You know, what is is your uh, kind of tradition? You know, do you come from a traditional church or from a great Baptist church? Immersion. Hey, you can't look at kind of little sprinkling from a traditional kind of um, church. Wine or grape juice. King James or, I'm sorry, the Living Bible. Can you forgive me? These are but, <laughs> these are but a few distracting questions about kind of um, religious peripherals, uh, you know, something, you know, to get out and, and, and to get the discussion moving. This is the smoke screen she hopes will hide her blemished soul from the dawning light of this penetrating gaze. But in the light of Jesus, it's of no use because Jesus stands with her. He's not run away. He doesn't run away. A radiant shaft of truth pierce, pierces the evil. He goes right into the matter. And in verse 21 to 24, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem Shall you worship the Father? You worship that which you do not know. You worship somebody unknown. You worship an idol. We worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus clears away the mist. It is not where one worship that matters. It's how and ultimately 
whom one worships, that is important. So Jesus puts all these things side to side. Jesus brings the conversation. It's such a, a burning focus that her very soul is on the words of igniting. In verse 25, we read, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. What a deep expectation in that woman. And well, here comes the second point, the, the declaration. Um, a foreigner, uh, a Samaritan, a woman, and to top it all off, a woman of low moral and ill repute. To a strict Jew, she is indeed as far from the kingdom as you can get off. Way off. Way out. Not near. Just as far as you can get. But Jesus is talking to her. But because of a man she knows simply as a, as a Jew, as verse 9 says. Can you see how the respect to Jesus grows? First of all, he, she, he was for her just a, you know, kind of a Jew, you know, like all the other Jews. Secondly, she does it as we African do. We call this morning, my brother said, sir to me. A privilege, thank you very much, sir. And, and she calls him sir. And then in verse 19, she then calls him a prophet. She now crouches in on the brink of a total acceptance, waiting to make that leap of faith. Somewhat fearfully, but most certainly as her ears, you know, her ears are open now. Now, eventually, her ears are open. She now can hear. This is the point I'm making. If we go too quick, the ears are not open. The heart is still shut up like in a prison. So we can learn from Jesus. That's how he does it. He doesn't go straight to the point. He waits and waits and is patiently to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And then it comes. You know, she gets ready and there is a, there are decisive reactions as my last point. Just as at uh, that dramatic cliff hanging moment, guess who shows up with the hamburgers 
and fries. Well, the disciples come and um, they uh, try to get a point across. It is an awkward situation for everyone. Everyone that is except Jesus, of course, and at this point, his disciples came and they marveled uh, that he had been speaking with a woman. And um, yet no one said, what do you seek? Why do you speak with her? Now, let us see what um, the reactions were. First of all, there is, of course, a Samaritan woman, and there are reactions. You know, whenever Jesus speaks, and if Jesus speaks to you personally this morning, there will be a reaction from your side as well. I don't know the reaction. I don't know you listeners somewhere in the world, what would what will be your reaction? In verse 28 and 29, we read, So the woman left the water pot. You know, she listened to the voice from eternity. The woman could not do otherwise. She left the water pot and went into the city and said to the man, Come and see. You know, with urgency, with incredible urgency, come and see. I have met him. I've seen him. He said me the truth. What an excitement of that woman. Come and see. A man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? You know. That's a, a good question. Kind of a, a good rhetoric, isn't it? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> wow. I think this was a moment of faith. This was the very moment of faith. Like the sun bursting forth from behind the cloud of truth that flooded her soul, she turned from him, the water jars he had come to fill standing empty upon the ground. But she, her, the heart she had not come to fill now flowing with living water. Just as Jesus had early, earlier turned lukewarm water into the most festive of wine. She now takes the emptiest of lives and fills it to full. Jesus can do that today, now. That's what Jesus is able to do. Can you imagine this woman, you know, when she heard the truth, how excited that she was? She did no longer think of some little water pot, just left everything she had and well, as our Papua New Guinean people say, 60, you know, she went back to her village, to her city. She was so excited about that truth. Nobody could hold her back. I got also so excited to see that happening. This can happen today. 
no matter how stagnant the water, no matter how empty the pot, all it takes a sip of faith. Wow. Wow. Here it comes. The astonishing and breathtaking reactions. Of course, there were also some Samaritan men. They also showed up a reaction like a stone plopped into the water. Jesus' words of life fall into the Samaritan woman's heart and then ripple through the city. The whole city, you know, just went out moving, you know. <laughs> there was a, a revival coming up, you know. They just moved out of the city. And I don't know how many hundreds or how many dozens. I don't know. There is no number. Some people may count today numbers. In Jesus' time, no numbers were, were taken. Nobody counted up as in some services of ours people do. They count the people that turn up. Not here. But certainly, there were many, many um, wells of people flow from the city and pour over the countryside on their way to Jesus. They went out of the city and were coming to him. In verse 30, 39, and 30, 42, we, we can read, And from that city, many, many Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. Nobody else. They were all talking behind their back. And it's so easy that that many people do that instead of going straight to the person, you know, I bow down by, by before my African sister. Instead of talking straight to her, That's what she experienced with the Lord Jesus. He talked to her. He showed her passionate love to her. And that opened her heart for the truth. It's amazing. And I would so much love to see that happen more often. The acknowledgement of a person, not who she is, because of nice red clothes, of a good hairstyle, of the image we would expect, the association of people. No. Jesus didn't do that. Wow, I get ever so excited. A solitary seed has been planted and within the time it takes to eat lunch, an entire field of humanity becomes ripe for the harvest for the kingdom of God. Wow, that is what happened here. Revival takes place by the truth that Jesus says. And lastly, of course, and well, let's sit in their boat as well. I'm not ashamed to sit in their boat because, I mean, after all, after our service, what will we do? We get, uh, like uh, the disciples uh, did, 
you know, the disciples, meanwhile, the disciples have their minds on, on some more pressing matter. They were thinking of food. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm getting excited about the hamburger that we may eat afterwards or, I don't know, chicken or uh, whatever. Um, the disciples in verse 31 to 33, we read in, in uh, uh, John chapter, chapter 4, we, the disciples were requesting him saying, Rabbi, you've forgotten something. You've forgotten to eat, you know. The, the excitement just carried him away and he didn't eat. But that's too exciting. It's too exciting. Rabbi, eat. But he said to him, to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples therefore were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? <laughs> no, they didn't understand our word. But while they were preoccupied with passing the salt and ketchup, sorry, I don't think they had ketchup, but you know, I want to bring it into Viennese culture, you know, to get them Jesus a hamburger and some fries and, and, and things like that. So they had to put him some salt and ketchup. Jesus tells them a vital lesson about another kind of food. In verse 34 to 39, we read, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wage and is gathering fruit for eternal life, that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows, another one reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. That's our situation. He points out to him at the cross. He has made it and he pulled it to the end. It's only we that we bring in the harvest because he has done it for us. Others have labored. And you have entered into the labor. That's what I'm saying. Even in Eisenstadt where we live, we think we did the job. Now there is a, a church, there are several churches, but there are, I don't know how many that labored, that did the job of shame and rejection. And it's the same with the Lord Jesus. That's what he did. He labored. God took him on the cross so that we can reap, that we can go into the harvest. And as always, dear brothers and sisters, there is an application for us. Otherwise, we would sit here and hear some nice truth. But the word of God is always applying to our practical needs, to our situation of life, to where we are, where we are sitting, where we are living. The Samaritan woman needed water. 
but the disciples whose thirst had already been quenched by the river of life needed food. A sinner's greatest need is the gift for salvation. We cannot pull it out of other things in. That's the greatest need. We have to state that again and again and be reminded to it. The greatest need of a sinner is the free gift. He cannot work for it. The free gift, the open hand of salvation, the greatest need of one who is saved is then when he got salvation. It's only then to understand and to do the will of God. Only then, otherwise he would turn in salvation to works. And that would put it, turn around. So, you know, it's only when you received Christ. The next thing is to understand and do the will of God. Not the other way around. Because that's religion all about. Religion always wants to do something. We were reminded this week to Luther when he just crawled up the stairs in Rome. You know, his bones came out, his knees came out. And to find um, a favor, the favor of, of the God he was serving to and he couldn't find it. Only until when he read uh, the letter of Paul to Romans, when he found it, it's by grace. This is why he uh, underlines this in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, the new life. And um, uh, I have a different translation here. The new life version puts it like this. For by his loving favor, you have been saved from the punishment of sin through faith. It is not anything you have done. It is not by anything you have done. It's a gift. Can you do something for a gift? I mean, it's the pleasure of somebody who gives you a gift. But, I mean, you may cook for somebody. You have a visitor and you may do something. But eventually, the one who is invited brings a gift. It's a free gift. He's not urged to do so, is he? It's not given to you because you worked for it. If That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. It is not given to you because you worked for it. If you could work for it, you would be proud. We are his work. He has made us to belong to Christ Jesus so we can work for him. It's only then and now that we can work for him. If we have received, accepted what he has done on the cross. It's only then. Because then we work by grace. Nobody forces us. We work with love and passion. Because we have received a gift unspeakable of. Salvation. Forgiveness. Hope. Love. Passion of the one who is in favor of us. Like the lady on the well. It is amazing. Thank you so much for that very gift. Paul was excited about it. This is why he wrote Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. 
He has made us to belong to Christ Jesus so that we can work for him. He planned that we should do this. In the prejudiced society of first century Palestine, there was no lower person in the system than a Samaritan woman, especially one with loose morals. Yet John 4 records a wonderful encounter between such a person and a savior. It is, it would be, have been very easy for Jesus at the well to pass right by the woman at the well, you know, to run away. And you know, just let her, you know, I mean, how can I deal with a sinner, you know? No. Most would have considered the unimportant, unlovely, and insignificant. Would not have considered. Would not have looked at such a person like her. They would never even seen at her. Acknowledged her. No. Impossible. When you heard that prayer in the beginning, you know, Women, God, I'm a man. I'm so thankful that I'm a man and not a woman. In finishing and wanting to apply today's teaching, let us ask ourselves some vital questions. And you may ask Mallory afterwards, you know, what is it that you do with LGBTs? What is it? That, you, that I can help you here with Christ Church? Make a decisive decision? We want to get involved. How do you rate in the matter of loving the unlovely? How do you feel about those less fortunate than you? Do you reach out to minister to them or are they conveniently overlooked in your daily, day up to day life? Who in my life is less fortunate than I? What are some specific ways we as Grace Church and as a church uh, somewhere in the world Wherever you are, ask that question. Don't run away. Ask that question for yourself personally and as a church. What are some specific ways we or I could minister to this person? How can I build this ministry in my everyday life? I want to encourage you, just like Jesus did. And we may as well experience a revival. The Lord bless you as you consider this and look at the deep needs of people around us. They are desperate, unfortunate, so that they may get salvation, so that their heart may be opened to have a light and a road to the Savior. Let's do it. And it's not only the American president that states we can do it.
Let's do it. The courage. Lord Jesus, we are amazed by your sheer love. It takes our breath away. You are amazing. There is no God like you. You are beyond comparison. Thank you that you considered me as a sinner as I am, desperate for the water of life. You considered me. Thank you. I am in awe and wonder, Lord Jesus, because you saved a wretch like me. You crossed my road. You were, you've not been ashamed to speak to me in a moment of time. And Lord Jesus, thank you for this great story. And we also want to see revival happening so that many, many more people may get to know and receive that gift of salvation. That the number in heaven that is, that are, that is the salvation numbers is increasing evermore. That the book of life may be filled by myriads of names. Lord Jesus, thank you that you bless our listeners wherever they are to get that spark off and to move out in this world with no answers and too many questions. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We praise you for your presence. And we give you all the glory. You are awesome. You are our personal God. Thank you. You are enough. And we worship you for who you are. And it's our desire that many, many more people desire to worship you as well. To give you glory, honor, and praise. That the time may come that people from all nations and languages and tribes may worship you for who you are, the Savior of the world. We're looking forward, Lord Jesus, to meet you face to face. We are hungry to meet you every day, every moment of our life, because oftentimes we are too empty to bring that salvation message across. We are too weak. Our heart is closed, hardened. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your presence. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen.